This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I know you'll be alright, even when times get hard, and you feel like you're in the dark, you will see just how beautiful life can be when you soften your heart. You can finally start to live your truthiest life. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. This episode coming up is so fun, exciting, educational, and empowering. It's with Dr. Jolene Brighton, who I've followed on Instagram for a long time, and I absolutely love her zest, her candor, and the way that she educates and empowers. She's a board-certified naturopathic endocrinologist, clinical sexologist, and prominent leader in women's medicine. She is a fierce advocate for patients, dedicating her life to uncovering the root cause of imbalances. Her new book, Is It Normal?, is out now, and I'm going to link that below. The best thing that we can do to support experts and authors is to buy their book and support them. So if you're at all intrigued by this conversation, if it's just like scratching the surface of more information that you want, please buy it, give it to friends and family, because the truth of the matter is we are so out of touch with our bodies when it comes to its anatomy, what things should look like when it comes to our physiology, how it should function, and when it comes to what it should all feel like, especially when it comes to our woman stuff and our sexuality as well. So much of what we just call our lady problems, right, are not problems that need to be problems. They're actually things that are easily solvable. She gets into that and more in this episode, sharing easy dietary solutions to painful periods, answering questions like 
does the penis or vagina size matter the way we think that we do? We talk about vaginal odors, the surprise cause, what's considered problematic versus normal, what's considered a normal sex drive. Why not all women want sex to actually last as long as we think? We talk about douching, its damaging effects psychologically and physically, and why some populations are still doing it and at risk. And most importantly, we talk about all the things in our head that we're either Googling shamefully or live in our head rent-free, causing us to feel shame and disconnection to our own bodies. If there's a question that you've had about your body, the way it looks, the way it feels, the way it smells, when it comes to hormonal things or sex, we probably get into it in this episode. And if we don't, she probably gets into it in her book or her social media. I love this episode because the second we signed on and the videos turned on, I could feel her energy. She's a radiant woman living her most authentic, vibrant life when it comes to her professionality, her sex life. That's an assumption. But you could just feel a lot of energy radiating off of her. And there's nothing I love more than when an expert walks the walk. And you can certainly feel that with Dr. Brighton. Again, I'm going to link her book below. You're going to absolutely fall in love with her, her humor, the way she has so much information and puts it out so simply. And if you love this episode, please go ahead and share it with your friends and your family. The more we feel normal in our bodies, the more empowered we can be to live freely within them and be our most authentic self. And of course, have some pleasure with that along the way. It doesn't have to be all hard being a woman. It can be absolutely delicious, amazing, and pleasurable. Today we have Dr. Jolene Brighton on the podcast, and Dr. Brighton is author of the new book, Is This Normal? And I've had a chance to go through it, and it is truly incredible and exactly what I think every woman needs. <laughs> on the cover, you call it a non-judgmental guide to creating hormone balance, eliminating unwanted symptoms, and building the sexual desire that you crave. And we're on video today, and I can feel your energy. And I don't mean just like positive, which it is, but I mean like it feels bountiful. And that is really rare for a woman these days, a mother, a wife, to be so bright. I know bright's in your name, but that's the word that just keeps coming up for me. Well, thank you so much. And I'm really excited to be here. And I really appreciate all those compliments because when you are just days away from your book coming out in the world, you are doing lots and lots of things to make sure that everyone knows about it. And I, I feel actually really tired today. So I will take all those compliments. Well, you do not look tired and you, know, you must just be very excited about what you're about to put in the world. I love how this book starts with sex and not just sex ed, but like you say in your title, the sexual desire that you crave. And I mm -hmm. think that's what kind of like wakes people up when they see this book, because the fact is most of us are not out here living our most empowered sexual lives. And there are a lot of real obstacles to get there physically, emotionally, and even intellectually. There's so much to unpack. And your book, I think, really breaks that down in a way that doesn't make you feel uncomfortable for asking, is this normal? Yeah. You know, it's so interesting when I set out to write the book, I thought, you know, we're going to talk about hormones. We're going to talk about all these things, but we're going to have one chapter on sex. And when I went through all of the years of questions that I got, there were so many questions about sex that made it so apparent to me that like, we've got to back this whole conversation up. We've got to ask, answer the questions about like, what is normal about sex? But we also need to talk about like, what's normal for your vulva? What's normal for your vagina? What is, what is the clitoris? And have these conversations that 
we've really been failing to have in medicine, in society, in our health ed classes. Like we just have a big knowledge gap. And I really set out to help people bridge the knowledge with what their normal is and understanding that you're not going to be just like everybody else you know, but that doesn't make you abnormal. Mm, Great. And so well put. And I think when we talk about like hormones, we think about like seventh grade, right? And the different changes that our bodies are going through, whether it's discharge or periods or just like learning what sex is. But Mm -hmm. I'm in my mid thirties now and I've gone through a pregnancy, a pregnancy loss, birth one time, you know, and I am just amazed at each of those phases, how much uncertainty there is from getting pregnant to am I pregnant to Mm -hmm. I'm pregnant, but is this normal? You know, what, what can I expect to I'm in labor? Is this normal to after that? And then rebalancing, like there's so much Googling. I do a lot of Googling. I'm an empowered, I consider myself empowered and in touch with my body. And yet Google is my best friend when it comes to all of these topics. And it shouldn't be like, we should know what our clit looks like, what it doesn't look like, how it works, all of that. And and your book does a great job of doing that. So I think today I'd really love to cover a lot of the sex questions, a lot of the hormonal questions, quote unquote, lady problems, as you say in your book, and then answer some questions from my audience who very bravely asked some some honest questions here. Yeah. And love to get your feedback about is it normal? So let's start with hormones and then move, I think, into the sex stuff. Starting with lady problems. You say that they aren't necessarily normal and that they're even treatable. And that being said, when people go to the doctor, they're usually dismissed. This is how it is. It's going to be like this for a while. When did you wake up to the fact that it doesn't have to be like this and we can make this a more pleasant experience to go through as a woman? So my background is in nutrition as well. And, you know, we learn so much about what nutrients can do in the body and how they can help with tissue healing and all these things. And it was really through bridging that knowledge. And then as I got educated, in medical school about like what causes what, like what is actually going on here? What's the pathophysiology? And things like painful periods, we're told like that's normal. We're told PMS is normal. We're told a lot of things that are common experiences are normal, but just because it's common doesn't make it normal. And, you know, there's that one side of the spectrum of like, you get your period. It's like, "Mm, welcome to womanhood. It sucks. Like, you know, make sure you have your pads on hand and, and, you know, however that conversation went for you. Now we've got the other side of the conversation, which I find very interesting on social media, which is like these other extremes of normalizing, not normal things. So for example, the idea that a period should be non-existent unless you're detoxing. I see this a lot in vegan communities. I don't know why. This is like the rhetoric that plays out there. And I'm not bashing on vegans, but this is where I'll see vegan accounts saying, you get your period because your body has to detoxify. And if you like are not toxic, you'll stop bleeding and that's normal. And I'm like, Mm. no, it's not. Yeah. I'm like, that's a sign that you are in such a stressful state, generally from if it's because of a vegan diet, of a caloric deficit, 
that your body is interpreting famine and is interpreting this is not safe or incompatible with life. We've got to shift everything in an adaptation for survival to be about survival hormones and you lose your period. And that's what's going on. It's functional hypothalamic amenorrhea. I talk about this in the book. So we see these one extremes of like, oh, like, you know, bleeding for like 10 days and like having to like bring changes of clothes with you to school. Like that's normal. You know, having to pop my doll, like, you know, every time you get your period, that's normal. And then we've got the other side of things where it's like, if you ever see like brown discharge after your period, like something's wrong with you. And in fact, no, that's actually normal. It's just oxidized blood. It's a very normal, common experience. And so, you know, in the book, it's like, I wanted to talk about ways to address your period problems, your menstrual cycle problems, your perimenopausal hormone problems, what's normal, what's not, what you can do about it. And also take on a lot of these myths that are born out of the fact that we don't receive adequate education about our body. Myths as silly as like, if I get into the ocean on my period, like, am I going to attract sharks? Mm, and people <laughs> laugh about that. But like, peop there are people running this fear in the back of their mind that like, oh, this is something. I mean, I'm legitimately afraid of sharks. Every time I love to snorkel. And every time I'm out there, I'm like, doing a 360 spin, like can as if I'm actually going to see a predator sneak it up on me, but I'm still doing it. But the period is not one of the things you have to be afraid of. Shark week is sensational, but they lie. They're like, they yeah. will smell a drop of blood and it will bring a frenzy upon you. When have you seen like women dies because she was in the ocean on her period, like shark <laughs> attack. Like that's not what's going on. I mean, there's just so many myths out there. Right. You're right. There is a lot. And there's so much like subconsciously ingrained, like even that one that I mm -hmm. wouldn't have even brought to my consciousness if you didn't even like bring up, you know, because it's those unique situations where you're in them. And, and you, again, are disconnected to your body, fearful of it and dealing with all these things that, you know, men don't. So what are some things that women can do to alleviate common period problems? In the book, I have a chapter on periods, like just periods, just everything you experience from periods from like feeling like you have period flu to having painful periods to having period poops, like all of these things and, and why do they happen? And then there's a chapter all about the menstrual cycle because often people get PMS and periods confused and they'll say like, oh, my PMS symptoms like having cramping and really heavy bleeding. Well, PMS is premenstrual. So it's before you get your period. And so I break it down in the book, like all of these things that happen during your cycle that are also problematic or also lovely. Like I talk through how each phase of your cycle impacts your sexual health. So in the book, I give lots of tips and resources. So there's an appendix that's has your, it's your cycle symptom relief chart where if you're experiencing acne or you're experiencing these painful periods or you have headaches, migraines, you're going to get nutrition, lifestyle, and supplementation recommendations. And really, that is to help you have a much more impactful experience in terms of employing these than you know the one-off of like, oh, I'll just try to change my diet and try to change things. Something that is incredibly powerful in terms of a dietary change that I do talk about in the book is shifting your diet away from the standard American high omega-6 diet and getting more omega-3 fatty acids in. 
And the reason for that is that there are these hormone-like chemicals called prostaglandins that produce an inflammatory effect and they cause the contraction of your uterus. So is it normal to poop during your period? Yeah, that can that can happen. If you're having significant diarrhea and cramps though, that's those prostaglandins and more omega-3 fatty acids make them do their job, but not so crazy doing their job like you go like childbirth. And that's the other time they come up. There was something I saw actually on Instagram where someone was like, do you think Beyonce pooped while she had her like you know, baby blue, I think? Like, do you think that happened as if like just because you're a celebrity, like you don't have a rectum and um, poop? Like, I don't understand that. But I'm like, I commented and said, yes, she did. Everybody does. Everybody does. And if your nurse or your midwife or doctor told you you didn't, bless them for making you feel better, but they lie because prostaglandins are very, very excitable chemicals and they are in there causing the contraction of the uterus and they also cause the contraction of the bowels. So it is normal to poop in labor. I mean, there's also a lot of pressure going on down there. So it is normal to poop during labor. It is normal to poop in early labor as the prostaglandin spike. It is normal to feel like you need to poop more on your period. But when it comes to the period, if it is diarrhea, if it is cramping that's really painful, if it is like, I got to stay by the bathroom all the time. That is not normal. And that's what a good sign that like we need to make those shifts in our diet. And I'd also say including more magnesium. What does it magnesium do? But that can also help with things like getting more avocados in like that. Like if you hate avocados, um, I'd like to know about you because I have not met people who hate avocados, but great source of um, magnesium. And that's going to help you with those prostaglandins. It also helps with headaches. It helps with sleep. It's going to help a lot with these hormonal related PMS and period symptoms we experience. And I'll also just mention, and I have before on this podcast before that I did in fact poop during my birth. And yeah. I think my husband then stepped in it because it was a chaotic situation going on. But <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I bring it up and I say it like kind of jokingly, but the truth of why I'm saying it is because it was one of my greatest fears. Like growing up, learning that a woman could poop during labor, knowing that my partner would be there. I was like, well, I don't want to ha- go into labor then because that is mortifying. I will die yeah. if somebody sees me poop. Like, And on the other side of this, like it doesn't matter you know, and so not just normalizing, but also knowing that if and when it does happen, it does not feel shameful, embarrassing, mm-hmm. and all of the things that we, we think it's going to, you know, feel and, and be in this world. So I think that's really great. And I love how you bring up like the spectrum of things like, yes, pooping around your period is normal, but what does that poop experience look like is a different conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And your book really expanding on that really takes us into the gray area where I think a lot of people might not otherwise think. They think in terms of yes or no, is pooping during this time normal or is it not? But really, there's so many more questions to each thing that we experience health-wise. And your hyper-specific dietary recommendations are just like chef's kiss. It makes us feel so empowered, not broken. Oh yeah, all I needed was a little bit of avocado in my diet. Of course, I don't have the right ratio of fats going on. Let me try this. And it gives people Mm -hmm. something so much more to be part of their health solution as opposed to feeling dismissed, going to the doctors, take all. Not to say that every doctor, you know, will be dismissive, but we do in this society think of them as just like, quote unquote, lady problems, get on with it. Yeah. I would encourage everybody to like look up period simulators on social media 
and see men having these machines put on them, TENS units to simulate a period and how they can't breathe, they can't talk, they can't function. (laughs) And when you consider that's an average period experience for a lot of women, they still go to work. They still take care of their kids. They still like go work out. They still go and do these things. And I think, you know, part of that lends this narrative, like women have a higher pain threshold. Society has a higher expectation on us, whether or not we're having pain. And in the book, there, I actually go through the different studies showing us the women's pain is not taken seriously. It is dismissed. And when it's pain of a heart attack, you have a higher rate of being dismissed than a man. And then you put it down in the pelvis and doctors are like, mm, it's lady part problems or pain with sex. Just have some lube and uh, some wine and you'll be fine when in fact it can be a sign of something much more problematic. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Staying on the topic of hormones and moving into like anatomy. I think that a lot of us have only seen our own vaginas and we start to come up with stories about what they look like from the shape of them to the size of them to the odors Mm -hmm. that they produce at different times. So tackling a few of those questions which your social media has so many fun clips on this. If anybody wants to go over to Dr. Jolene Brighton's Instagram, you'll just feel so much more self-assured in your own body after visiting. But can a vagina be too long, too big, or too small? No. I actually was like, I don't even want to write about this. Like in the book, I just was like, you know, but the question just kept kept coming up. But I, I say why I didn't want to write about it is I just was like, I felt like I could just sum it up in a couple of, sentences of like, 
if you don't hurt and you don't have like dysfunction, you don't have a problem. But it was something that is such a big question of people being like, oh, well, after you have a baby, I heard that you'll be loose. And if I want to save my vagina, I need to have a C-section. Not true. Having a C-section won't necessarily save your vagina. Sorry. And Mm -hmm. it could really cause a lot of other problems. And then, you know, this concept of like, oh, well, if women have sex with too many penises, then they're going to be too loose. And that I laugh like, oh, really, sir? You think your penis is like so great? Have you seen a baby? Have you seen their heads? Do you have any concept? And you're like, oh, my penis has the power to like completely transform this tissue. Like it is not a magic wand, friend. It is not. And so even after childbirth, when a baby passes through the vaginal canal, that tissue is like an accordion and it stretches and there might be more folds left behind. But um, just like a little spoiler for people who haven't had kids, a lot of people report better sex after having a baby and their partners report better sex after having a baby. So it isn't something that like, oh, it's completely ruined you. Can your vagina be too small? The length of the vaginal canal might be too small compared to what is trying to enter. So there is a phenomenon when we are aroused called tenting, where the cervix actually moves up and back and the vaginal tissue changes to accommodate the prospect of something penetrating it. And in the book, there is a question that I give, like, does size matter? And it does matter, but not in the way that people think. Usually comes from this place of people saying, oh, size matters because if he's too small, and in fact, most women aren't orgasming through vaginal penetration. So the size is negligible when it comes to reaching an orgasm because it takes clitoral stimulation. But where it matters is, is he too large? And that is a real issue and phenomenon. And there's actually a company that made something called the O-Nut which are little silicone, basically stoppers that you can slip on so that he still has pleasure, but it helps you control the depth of penetration. And then depending on where you're at in your cycle, like around menstruation, the uterus is going to be down lower. The cervix will be down lower and a collision with a penis can happen and that could be painful. So that's the nuance of like, oh, could you, and it's like not even you, it's not a vaginal canal uh, issue of too big or too small. It's really like, what are we doing here? Are you aroused enough? Where are you at in your cycle? And also I think it's always something that men are told like, oh, you want to, you want to have a really big penis and you want to last forever. And that when you look at the research is not what women want. It's not what women are looking for. And I think you know, as we have this conversation, it just really highlights how the myths about women's bodies, they they hurt any gender. Like they really are impactful in a negative way on any gender. So true. I love that you called it um, a collision with a penis. I thought that was just hilarious and illustrative. But that you bring up so many incredible points so quickly, so articulately that like, the conversation about sex, penises being big is better, vaginas being tight, better, like all these things that we just like check off as like normal in our brain has just created this idea that like sex should be a specific thing. And through that quick, like very explosive explanation of everything, you've put so much more color and dimension to the story, talking about how where you are in your cycle can impact the pleasure and the like how well things fit and how things feel. Um, It just 
like makes so much sense. And yet we have been putting so much blame and pressure on ourselves with every sexual experience. And you just bring color to it and you make it sound so simple when you say the things that you say. In your book, you talk about the husband stitch and I just about threw up everywhere. Uh, Can you explain what the husband stitch is? Yeah, if you're driving right now, you might want to pull over because like you're about to get really pissed. So when women have babies, okay, sometimes there's tears. Sometimes there's episiotomies. They have no real evidence to support them. They shouldn't be done anymore. But there is sometimes a need to stitch things up. So that happens. And what doctors will sometimes do is non-consensually take liberties with your body and add an extra stitch at the top. We call it the husband stitch because the doctor's like, I'm doing this for your husband so that sex is better afterwards. Okay. Firstly, no evidence of that. In fact, evidence to the contrary, that it can result in pain with sex. Now nobody's having penetration. Nobody's having sex. Like, is it the husband stitch or is it like the like saboteur stitch? Because it really can sabotage your sex life. But it's also something that doctors will do without consent. They won't even tell women. There are women who have reported. I mean, and thank goodness for the internet where women can tell their stories and share these things that so that other women can understand what's going on because these doctors are not being honest about what they're doing that they share these stories about how like they had to go pelvic floor physical therapy. They had to go do all this stuff. And in the end, they ended up having to be, they had to have the area actually surgery, surgically operated on to reclaim the normal function of their body because their doctor thought it was cute to put an extra stitch in because their doctors, and these are, these are male doctors. Okay. Like I'm not going to skirt around that. These are male doctors being like, Oh, yes, because tighter is better. Like, tell me you don't have a vagina without telling me. Because no, a tight vagina is a vagina that's not interested. Like, a tight vagina is a vagina that's not ready for penetration. The vagina being tight is what, like, it's just some weird archaic relic of, like, you know, I don't even know when that came from. That I should have researched that. And this concept and this idea that that's what makes for pleasurable sex is absolutely wrong. Because as I said, the vagina expands, it changes, it opens up more to accommodate anything that could be penetrating it when the tissue is adequately stimulated and aroused. When we see that the tissue stays tight, remains tight, as doctors, you know, we're like, well, is there not enough estrogen? Do we have atrophy happening of the tissue? Like, is this a hormonal issue? Is it a situation where you have vaginismus? Like, have you had like past history of infections and now the, the tissue is really not responding in the way that you want it to, but what it's doing is basically locking down the fortress to keep you safe. And so I think this is really important to understand because there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of stupid jokes that go around about like, oh, you want it to be tight. If it feels that tight, you, my friend, are not a good lover. Like there is something going on and she's not feeling safe. Or it's possible that there's some other kind of issue going on and it's a medical condition that requires treatment. So tight is not the standard and it is not something that anyone should be aspiring towards. Amen. Vaginal odor. You did such a, for lack of a better word, cute post on your Instagram about odor and it caught my attention because... 
I think that's something as, as women that we're always like, do I smell? Do I smell? We don't want to smell for our partners. Mm-hmm. Or if we do smell, like, is it an indication of something being wrong with us? Yeah. And you flip the script in that post. So can you talk a little bit more about one of the causes of vaginal odor not being a woman's fault and what actually ends up causing it? Yeah. Okay. So I, I actually wrote a whole history of douching in my book and we had to cut it out. And so for people to understand that the entire concept that vaginas shouldn't smell like vaginas, that they should smell like clementines and vanilla and champagne berries. Like, this is so stupid when you say it out loud. This whole concept just came from marketing. We used to have doctors recommending douching back in the 1800s. <laughs> Funny enough, they're like, you need to wash the inside of your vagina. But when they were challenged to wash their hands before surgery or childbirth, they didn't want to do that. They didn't think <laughs> they really needed to wash their hands. Like, like this is for real. This is men in medicine making problems for vaginas since the 1800s. And so this douching was really a euphemism for family planning. And so the idea, you know, Lysol steps in. Lysol is like the leading douche. Uh, women are dying, but then they're still douching with it because they need to control their reproductive health. And then here comes birth control. And especially once the pill steps on the scene, the marketing changes. And go Google the marketing. Get into the images where they're like, why is he shutting her out of the bedroom? Why is he no longer in love with her? Especially if you are... um a black or Hispanic woman, the marketing was even worse because your dark body was a dirty body. And that is why Latinas and black women are still douching at a much higher rate and exposing themselves to endocrine disruptors, chemicals that are associated with hormonal issues, but also cancers than any other population. So I say all of this because the whole concept of like, you're supposed to smell a certain way that men and women and everybody has accepted was just a company having to pivot their marketing because contraceptions were now available, but they didn't want to go under as a business. So they took to shaming women about their bodies and that still persists to today. So understanding that it is like one of the biggest acts of rebellion to just love your body and recognize it's fine the way it smells. But that doesn't stop men out there who really don't know a thing about the vagina from shaming and saying like, oh, if it's fish odor down there and like, oh, she's stinky. You know, they make all these comments. And so that video that you're alluding to was me sharing that. So if you have a fish-like odor, it is because of an organism that is normal in your vagina causing this odor. It produces amines that gives that fish-like odor. It is a sign that you need treatment for bacterial vaginosis. It is due to a pH shift. And If he's complaining about it after sex, you have to recognize that your lactobacilli created an acidic environment. The vagina should be acidic, but these organisms overgrow in an alkaline environment and semen makes for an alkaline environment. It is alkaline. And so it is the act of sex, which allows ejaculate into the vagina that can allow for a pH shift to happen and you to develop bacterial vaginosis. And then you see these men out there shaming women and it's like, that's fine. Do you know what I know the solution is? It's either stop having sex with you or you you wear a barrier, you wear a condom and you do not ejaculate inside the vaginal canal and we shift these lubes because you are disrupting her pH. Men do not like it when I say this. They're like, oh, you're just blaming us for one more thing. I'm like, 
I'm just explaining basic biology and what the treatment is, is if this is happening over and over because of you. And also, weren't you just blaming her, but not just blaming her, shaming her, making fun of her, making whole skits and jokes about her. But like, heaven forbid, we talk about the impact of your ejaculate because your feelings get hurt. Like, and it's just like the only reason your feelings get hurt is because you were such an asshole about it to begin with. Well said. And I think that these conversations are not said in the uh, that are happening at home don't have any sort of candor that you bring to this conversation. Instead, with the the shame and the blame festers, and then when we go to have sex again, we are like you said, unsafe. We don't feel safe. Like the vagina is mm-hmm. tightening, not tightening in a good way, tightening in a way of like, I don't want to have sex. You're not going to yeah. feel, you know, the, the proper hormones and the cascade that needs to occur isn't going to happen to make sex pleasurable because you're so worried about what it smells like down there. So, yeah. And if someone has been shaming your body, why are you going to be vulnerable with them? Like that is going to inhibit your ability to get aroused, stay aroused and achieve orgasm. So If men do want sex, they should probably knock that off and also don't have sex with men who shame your body. As if semen is is such a non-disgusting thing. Like (laughs) I know, but like we got, we got like, and here's the reality. Humans, (gasps) animals of any kind make fluids that are disgusting, okay? And sex is awkward and sex is messy. And like, we just have to normalize these things. Like, Man, the number of women who will run to the comments if you say something like that and they're like, why are you shaming men and blah, 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 blah. Where's that same energy when they're shaming women or any of that? Like, and it's not about shaming them. It's just about having real honest conversations. Like, you know, the question comes up of like, oh my God, there's so much goop coming out of me after I have sex with a penis. And like, Mm -hmm. I have to do this awkward walk to the bathroom. Yes, (laughs) that's normal. A lot of people have to do that. And we have to deal with the cleanup of that. Like we have to deal with the cleanup of that, which is sometimes multiple days of the vagina cleaning house being like, you do not belong here. You've all got to go like and cleaning everything out. And you're like, sometimes you have to wear a panty liner or you're having to get in the shower. Like, and like, this is normal. This is a normal experience. But, you know, back to your point, they call it cervical mucus. And by they, I mean medicine. But semen, ejaculate, like, you know, penile fluids, like there's just all these ways that they talk about it as if it's not just another another thing of goop. And with, uh, you know, cervical mucus, it's it's cervical fluid, it's cervical discharge. But because like once a month, it resembles like mucus that comes from your nose as well that we got the term mucus, but like. Semen that coagulates looks like mucus too. I just want to like illustrate this for everybody so that they understand that there is a bias in medicine and there is a way that we that medicine has regarded and talked about the male body with reverence. And then there's the way that they're just like, um, here's this like inferior version with baby making accessories over here. Mm-hmm. Well said. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. In your book, you talk about the media and sex, and I really sunk my teeth into this portion because I was thinking about its impact on me personally. And I don't watch a ton of TV, but the TV that I do watch, like they in the recent years are not shy on holding back like pretty passionate sex scenes showing a lot without like it being, you know, a very adult viewer only type of show. Mm-hmm. That being said, the portrayal of sex although we're showing so much more of it with noises and body we're not parts, showing the awkwardness that's for we're sure. not <laughs> showing the awkwardness the lead up the foreplay the need of lubes the conversation about stds like you say in your book and even i know that television is fake but i started to think like that's fine if we know that it's fake, but we're getting information about sex, how to have it, how to approach it in a way that feels good from another variable, right? And then it's like, okay, what about the conversation of porn? It's like, we don't even know where to get porn without feeling shameful. It is going to have a huge impact on us because we don't know why we're not in the mood suddenly when people make it look like it's just a passionate after dinner thing, you know, on a date, whatever it is. So there is so much to learn when it comes to orgasms. I think you, you mentioned earlier that a woman might not want long sex. Is that because she orgasms quickly or what, what's the kind of the deal with orgasms, how many she can have, how many she wants and what's expected of like long sex versus short sex. That was a, a lot in a question, but I have a feeling you're going to know how to tackle it. Okay. So when it comes to orgasms and how many you want, that's really up to you. Sometimes women don't even go into sex expecting or wanting an orgasm. They just want the connection. That's normal. It is normal that certain times of your cycle, it takes you longer to orgasm. Maybe you only have one. Other parts of your cycle, you have multiples and it was so easy to get there. Like all of these things are normal. and really. You know, as you were talking about the media, I think that there is an expectation of always like, oh, orgasms just come so easily. They don't always come so easily. It depends on what's going on with your hormones, what's going on with your day, what's going on with your nervous system, what's going on with your relationship. There's a lot of factors that can impact 
anybody's orgasms. And there's a lot of like pressure that happens on men. And it's very interesting to me that when you look at the media, like when is sex awkward in a comedy, but otherwise it's supposed to be steamy, passionate, perfect. I just laugh at these directors. I'm like, what's it really like for you? Like, I'd love to have an interview series with each director who like, you know, directs these like sex scenes and just be like, Let's talk about your sex life. (laughs) Let me know what that looks like. I'm just curious, like, where are you coming from as you direct something like this? I just think this is just a conversation I want to have. If you are a director of a movie, hit me up. Let's make this happen. But with that, we have like what's portrayed as normal there that isn't necessarily tracking with what our experience is. And there is a lot of pressure on men. There is pressure on men that they're supposed to like please women and like be a stallion in the bedroom and they're supposed to last forever. Part of that, like not wanting to last forever is because it's not necessary for pleasure. And in fact, like maybe you were having what people call foreplay, which is a form of sex. And it was wonderful. And you did that for like 45 minutes. And then by the time it is time to like have penetration if you choose to go that route it's like everybody is like in three to five minutes orgasming it's an like explosive experience and that's like the 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 finish line for the event and the goal that you and your partner have set in the bedroom but it's that in retrospect going like oh well that was like five minutes that sometimes men are like maybe that's not long enough And there's all these creams of like last forever there's certainly are times where it's like your partner may want you to last forever But it is this concept that ubiquitously what women want is like long stints of penetration. If you're not using lube, things can get dried out. If you're using water-based lube, things can get dried out. It is friction depending on what's going on with the tissue. Like, are you, are you healing, recovering from something? Did you go do a spin class today, right? Like just something like that, like this micro trauma to the tissues, like where are you at in your cycle? Like all of this can influence like How long do you really want your partner to go? But it is a myth that all women want are partners that last forever because orgasms, again, they don't happen that way. Pleasurable, like, you know, for a lot of people, pleasurable sex isn't, isn't defined by just vaginal penetration. And for your partner, you know, that might even be something that they're like, we've done all of these things and I'm, I am ready because of all of the anticipation and excitement and that is all okay. So I just think it's the shoulds that really get us. And the shoulds are a lot of times coming from media, which is like the only place where a one-sided conversation of what sex is and should be is happening in our homes. I think that your next book should be, Is This Normal for Men? Because once men can understand what's actually expected of them, that conversation will drastically change because they too are dealing with the pressure of needing to have big penises and go forever. Mm-hmm. And then instead of like taking it a moment to even unpack that, it's, you know, the the shame blame potato gets pushed onto us and then nobody's having good sex because there's there's so much to to go into. When it comes to sex drive, I think about my group of friends from high school who we've always, always been really open about our sexual Mm -hmm. experiences, I guess, because we grew up together and went through all of that. But each one of us has a very different sexual energy and relationship to sex. You know, you have the one that whose mind revolves around sex. You have the person who doesn't really have much interest. Is there a normal level of sex drive in the absence of a sexual partner? 
I mean, that's all normal. Everything you described is normal. So there's some great research studies out there. Rosemary Basson brought us like the idea of how much context matters about how we can have responsive desire, which is like we respond to the stimuli and that gets us there to a place where we're, we want sex. And, and even we still, we might even have to be in the act of sex before everything aligns. And we're like, oh yeah, yeah, I do want sex. Like I am feeling this. And then the idea of, of spontaneous desire, which is this concept of like, you have sex on the brain. Like you're exactly what media tells you a man should be, right? That's usually what it is. And if women want sex all the time, like they're too much like men, like that's not a thing. Like this idea of sexual desire, arousal, orgasms, all of it like transcends gender. We have these, yes, women are more likely to fall into a responsive desire camp or when you're taking it from the the dual control model, which is the research from Bancroft and Jansen, who gave the analogy of having gas pedals and brakes. When you look at their research, women are the ones more inclined to have more touchy brakes, be less inclined to have like touchy gas pedals to where they like have sex when they're stressed. But that doesn't mean it's universally true for everyone. And it can go the other way as well with men where men can have touchier breaks and society is telling them like, you should be thinking about sex all the time. Anything should just get you hard, right? Like, oh, except if you're your grandma's house, now we're making fun of you and that's awkward and all this stuff. But like, then just like think about sex, they get hard immediately. And then, you know, they, they never like lose their erection. And if they do, well, then we're going to just laugh about that and, and make fun of them because they're somehow less of a man because of it. But really what's going on is these are all nervous system responses. Sometimes with erectile dysfunction, it is related to uh, what is happening with blood flow and circulation, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, like real medical risks. And other times it can be performance anxiety, which pumps on the brakes for them. And just in the same way for women, it might be body image issues that pumps on the brakes for them. And so there's all these layers I break down in my chapter on the libido for understanding what your normal is. So you just said like you, you've been talking with your friends and you compare all of these things. We don't usually compare our sleep and talk about our sleep and then wonder if we're normal or not because compared to our friend, our sleep is different and we have these different things going on. So now like, am I normal? Should I feel ashamed about this? Should I be insecure about this? But sex is one of those things, especially sexual desire or libido that we tend to compare and despair about it. And because like the research isn't talked about, it's there. It's been there for decades for like my adult life. And yet it hasn't been talked about. There's a book called Come As You Are that really popularized some of this research and helping women to understand. Um, I've had people that have heard clips of me speaking and they're like, so is your book basically like Come As You Are? I'm like, absolutely not. It is. I get into one chapter surrounding this research because you can't talk about women's libido and not talk about this research and, and really be doing it the service. I think her book is a great complimentary book, but my book is we are going hormones, we are going like discharge, breasts, like what do you need to know from a medical perspective as well? So with that, and I definitely shout her out in my book as well, Emily Nagoski, who wrote that book, but to understand that like that book is very popular, this research among people in the sex, sexual health field 
really popular, really well known. You talk about this with the average individual and they've never heard any of these concepts because the only thing that is still played out as normal is men want sex all the time and women are cold fish or really not into sex, like these Mm. kinds of narratives and stereotypes. And they're frankly just not true. Well, I want to move into questions from our listeners, one of which you've already touched upon, Yes, which is how does being self-conscious of your body affect your ability to have sex? You know, if you are somebody listening and you have body image concerns, whether they are chronic or interruptive at times, can we talk about how somebody can maybe move through that and why it's happening and how they can move through it to have good sex and possibly achieve an orgasm? Yeah. In the context of our society, I think the first thing to recognize is this is a normal response to the marketing and the messages that have inundated and permeated every aspect of your life. Like I just laugh now being in my 40s about how many times I thought I was fat, that I didn't want photos taken of me because I thought I was fat. And I look back and I'm like, you were fine. Or the number of times that I have done interviews where men go and comment, they don't care anything I said. They just make a comment about how they would never listen to me because I'm so fat. And I'm like, that's just really interesting. It is just very interesting, like all of this. And that is just these little, like, this is just my anecdotal, like of my, my life. And I share this because it's another conversation we need to normalize of never feeling okay in our own bodies. And I think you have one of the hardest tasks ahead of you as a woman that to have great sex, you have to move into a place of self-acceptance and unapologetically loving yourself in the face of an environment that constantly sends you the signal that you're not enough and that you should be altering yourself in some way. So I think it's first recognizing that like this shit is hard and that is a normal experience given the kind of society that we are in. I give exercises in the book, like around ovulation is like the, what your hormones do, have you fill in yourself. Like things are perkier, fuller, curvier, like plumper, like you are going, it is the time where you're like, I look good today in your cycle. That is a good time to get in front of a mirror naked and to write down the things you love about yourself and remind yourself that when you get the week before your period and your hormones are dropping and things are drooping and lines and wrinkles are showing up more and all of those changes are coming on because there is a phenomenon known as spectatoring. This is defined in the research uh, because it is so common for it to happen where you literally leave your body and just sit on the sidelines, like criticizing yourself. So you're in the act of having sex and you might fall into this, oh my God, like what is, do my stretch marks show in this position? How is this making my cellulite look? Like, oh my God, was that a noise? Yes, queefs happen, especially in certain positions, but air goes in, it must come out. There is no other escape hatch for it. But these kinds of things go on And then you step away and you start wondering all of this about yourself. And because of that, you're no longer aroused. You can't achieve an orgasm and an orgasm requires you to be mindful. So it is like a little bit controversial because I've had people in the body positivity space challenge me and be like, no, this is not the way. But I'll say if you need to have sex with the lights on or excuse me, the lights off, to get yourself to a place where you're you're more comfortable in your body, start there. It, because this is 
taking away one of your senses, a sense that can be distracting if you're thinking about, oh, how is my partner looking at me? But when you take away visual stimulation, you can reroute the nervous system to pay a lot more attention to the touch. And the touch really matters in these situations. And all senses can be employed and and people have certain things that do it for them, like certain sounds and scents and textures. And that's all lovely. But with this body image concern, that could be a place where you start. You start with practices of loving yourself. And then, you know, maybe you're having sex with the lights off and you are putting all the stimuli into that touch and thinking about that. And, you know, the other thing to recognize is that when we are having sex with our partners and if they're into it, their brain is flooding them with these feel-good chemicals. They're not paying attention to how these things look. And sometimes, honestly, the things that you think would be like, oh, a turnoff, they're not registering and your body is a turn-on. This is where, where porn actually shows us that varieties and bodies are are appealing. What Victoria's Secret shows us is there's one body type, one archetype. Mm. They are doing better now, but like Mm -hmm. they already had their impact on me and you and a lot of people with what they showed us. What marketing to women shows is there was only one type of body that is ideal. And it changes, right? I mean, at one point it was Kate Moss and the next point it was a Kardashian. And I think we're going back to Kate Moss. Like, uh, (laughs) And those are all beautiful bodies, but that's not the only beautiful body type that's out there. And whenever I talk about this, for women to recognize what people are viewing in porn is a lot more variety than what we're seeing in marketing. Mm, Really well said. And thank you for sharing some of your own body image experiences and how it sounds like you've personally gotten through them in order to oh no I still slip like no I don't want to I don't want to come on here and pretend like I figured it out and I'm like way above that I can have the awareness of all the things and then still have my moments where I put on a pair of jeans and I don't feel I don't feel good in that moment so like that is also normal to be like I understand it I can move through it and then I also fall back into a trap every now and again it gets me Yeah, but just talking about, you know, sex in general, a place where like, even if you want to be there, you can't be there. And I think that a lot of times we get in the bedroom and even if we're in the mood, all that noise starts flooding in, whether it's the body image noise or other types of of noise pulling us away. Or literal noise. (laughs) Literal noise. But I love the idea of turning turning the lights off. You know, in in yoga, we do that. We close off different senses. You called it mindfulness. I'll take it a a step further. It's mind-body connection. And you can't Mm -hmm. get there with the chit-chatter over here, judging yourself, wondering what they're thinking. But you close off one of the senses, whether it's the eyes or the ears and all of a sudden it's it's the touch and you're and you're present. So I think that's just like such a beautiful tangible tip for people, mm-hmm. all people to to work with here. I want to ask two more questions from our listeners and we're going to move a little bit away from sex for a moment here and move a little bit into normal hormonal stuff. Late onset menopause. Is this something that's normal because this person says that her doctor thinks that she's an alien? Did they say that? She did. She said, is it normal too was the prompt. And she wrote, have late onset menopause dash my doctor thinks I'm an alien. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we go into menopause when the vault of eggs is spent uh, and we're no longer ovulating. We're no, no longer cycling. The, the ovaries are done. 
maybe you started your period much later. So the average age is 12. Maybe you started at 14 or 15. So you have a few more years, like the, the vaults, nobody had cracked the eggs yet. Like they, they were, they were left. Um, and so maybe that's what's going on. If you are continuing to menstruate and that's going into like mid late fifties, like that, you know, sometimes we want to ask, like, are you cycling? Like, are you cycling or is something else going on? But you know, as much as there's these averages, understand that averages exist in a bell curve. So if you think about a bell and just set it on a flat surface, and if you divide it in half, that is the center, that is the average. But all to the right of that, so we're talking about an age, age spectrum here, that's going to be older individuals who are going through menopause later. That might be your normal, depending on your circumstances. It is still worth getting things worked up and getting screening exams, like making sure you're getting your mammograms, making sure that we're monitoring things. But it doesn't mean that like you're an alien or you're totally something is freakishly wrong with you because you are on the spectrum of normal. It's just not the common one that your doctor is seeing. The next question we got in two different forms, so I definitely want to ask it. But the question is, is it normal to experience spotting between periods? So any type of bleeding that happens when it's not your formal period, could that be a normal thing? You can spot with ovulation, and that would be considered normal. If you are spotting outside of that, uh, it's not just around ovulation. It's more than a tablespoon. It lasts several days and that's happening between periods, you definitely need to see a provider. That is not considered normal. It's considered disordered uterine bleeding. And we need to understand what is going on there. Do we have hormonal issues happening? Do we have structural changes? And then there's like the big scaries of like, could it possibly be cancer? And the way we sleep at night and don't worry about that is by taking action, getting worked up and using your ally, which is your doctor. Mm. I love that. And I think that's a perfect way to end this interview because your book is packed with information about is this normal? That being said, that doesn't mean that everything is normal, but a lot of yeah. the things <laughs> that we worry about are simply normal. But in the absence of any concern, the most important thing is to choose a doctor that is your ally. If you're not comfortable with that doctor, find a new one and have those really empowered conversations. Your book is incredible. You're incredible. Uh, I think that the passion is just like spewing out of you. So even though you said you feel tired, this is a big interview week, the week before her book actually comes out. By the time this episode comes out, the book will be out. So we're going to link that below. You've got so much to give and it is pouring out of you radiantly. So I'm excited for the world to get this book in in their hands and let it do some of the work that you've been doing to get the word out. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you bringing in questions from your community and so that we could really make sure that the people that know you and trust you are getting the support they need as well. So thank you so much. I also just want to do a final mention that in this episode, we talked a lot about sex because I feel like that's the most taboo topic. And I wanted people to sink their teeth into the type of material that you are talking about in this book that I think goes beyond any book that I've ever read. But there really is so much more when it comes to hormonal balance, talking about discharge, period pain, and all of the things that we deal with as a woman. It's so much more than sex, but also the sex and answers so many of those questions that, like I said, I was previously turning to Google for. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, thank you again so much. And I cannot wait to hear 
what people find helpful and what was the thing that really made them have an aha moment. Because yeah, we did talk a lot about sex, but this book is hefty. There is a lot of information in there. And so I'm really invested in what each person takes away for themselves. Okay, so you can support Dr. Julian Brighton and yourself by picking up this book. I'm going to put it in the show notes below. And of course, I don't even need to tell you, you're going to follow her online as well. We'll put all that information there. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you back here next week. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.